In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. In our Gospel reading this morning, we see that as Jesus is drawing closer and closer to Jerusalem, his debates and his conflicts with the Jewish religious leaders persist, and arguably they just continue to deteriorate and get worse and worse. So here we see the Pharisees are trying to trap or entangle Jesus in his words by asking him a question about what's known as the poll tax. The poll tax was a tax that was levied on every adult Jew, and it was actually for the Jewish people a relatively new issue at the time, having been imposed about 25 years earlier uh, with the direct governance of of Rome over Judea. You can imagine the frustration. You've been conquered, and now you have to uh, pay your conquerors for conquering you. So this was obviously a contentious issue, which led to a lot of debate, tension, even a revolt, led by a man named Judas, which was then crushed by the Romans. All of that to say that this was a very live issue at the time. And in many ways, it was a question that anyone who purported to be a rabbi or a teacher would have been able or would have needed to have been able to give an answer for. But as is somewhat typical for the Jewish religious leaders in the Gospels, it seems as though their motives aren't actually pure in asking this question. It doesn't seem like they actually care about the issue of taxation, even though that's actually an important issue. Rather, though, they are trying to entrap Jesus essentially into what amounts to a no-win situation, a either answer really could have gotten Jesus in trouble here. Because on the one hand, if Jesus were to say, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then he could have been accused of sedition or inciting a rebellion. A no answer legitimately could have been a cause for his arrest. But then on the other hand, if Jesus were to say yes, then he could have been accused by the Jewish people of being a Roman sympathizer as resentment for Roman rule as well as this poll tax was obviously very high. So this is kind of the situation and how this question is laid out for Jesus. I feel like you could almost accuse Jesus here of being a bit evasive, but I don't think that that gets at it. Jesus is smarter than that. I think he neutralizes and exposes the question. He sort of undercuts it in a way and he turns it back on the Pharisees and the Herodians. So let me explain here. Jesus responds to them and says, Show me the coin for the tax. It says they brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. So similar to last week with the parable of the unforgiving servant, in order to understand Jesus' point here, we have to know a little bit about the currency, or in this sense, the coinage of this context in this scene. So there's a very specific reason why Jesus asked for a denarius. Because this coin would have had a few significant things on it, let's say. So first it would have had, as is explicitly stated, an image of the emperor. And in Jewish theology, then, this would have been a direct violation of the second commandment regarding the making of graven or carved images. And then to make matters worse, it would have had an inscription on it, which would have had two titles describing the image of the emperor. So one was Divi Filius, and the other is Pontifex Maximus. That is, the emperor here on this coin is described being both the son of God as well as the high priest. So what we have here is a coin that's in direct violation of both the second and the first commandments. 
That is to say simply it was an idolatrous coin. And this was actually known. So much was this known um, that this would offend the Jews that the Romans actually allowed the Jewish people to use their own coin. It would have been a copper coin which would have sufficed for day-to-day dealings that they would have needed to been engaged in. It wasn't necessary to have a denarius on them. Jesus didn't have one. The thing about the denarius, though, versus the Jewish coin was that it was economically more valuable. So I think we can start to see here a little bit of how Jesus is exposing these Jewish leaders. He says to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. In essence, you're clearly benefiting from Caesar. So why not pay the tax? You're benefiting from him as emperor. You're taking advantage of that. So why should he not benefit from you as a citizen? This verb render has a sense of give back, which emphasizes the point. You've received something from him, so why not give it back to him? So I think that's the first part of this answer here, which sort of entangles them a little bit in a web of their own ulterior motives, let's say. But then Jesus adds another part to this, which I think amounts to a heavier blow. He says, in essence, And you know, while you're at it, why don't you give back to God the things that belong to God? Now, I don't think Jesus' intention here is to give a fully articulated position statement, let's say, on the relationship between civil authority and the church. Though I do think that we can affirm here that Jesus is affirming this basic principle, which Paul also speaks of in Romans chapter 13, that God's people are not exempt from taxation. But I think primarily what Jesus is doing here is he's turning this uh, attempt to trap him back on the Jewish leaders. And he's saying, perhaps you're so concerned about these issues, about taxes, about politics, about economic gain, about trying to trap me, that you've forgotten your most important obligation. And that is to give back to God the things that are God's. Perhaps we could say that Jesus is also saying to them, or at least implying, Not only are you not giving to God the things that are God's, but you're actually giving to Caesar the things that are God's. So again, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give back to God the things that are God's. Well, what is it that belongs to Caesar? Well, like mentioned, Jesus affirms that the civil authorities have the right to impose taxes. God's people in general should be dutiful and contributing citizens. So yes, give him the tax. But so much more importantly, what do you need to give to God? Well, the answer to that is everything else. Give Caesar the poll tax. Okay, be done with it. But then give everything else to God. Your body, your soul, your citizenship, as Paul speaks of in our epistle. It's all to be given back to God because it all came from him. It seems like it's been a long time now that Jesus has been making this point in passages prior to this in the Gospels, like with, for example, the parable of the wedding feast, and more explicitly the parable of the wicked tenants, where he, using this same verb of give back, he says, because you failed at this, you failed to give back to God what belongs to God, then the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who do give back to God, given to a people who do produce its fruits. So I think when we see this story in its context, we see what perhaps is the intended theme that Jesus is trying to address. 
We've actually seen this a lot, I think, in these recent Sundays in Trinity. I think primarily the idea that just because the kingdom of God comes to us as a gift of grace, that doesn't mean that there are no conditions placed upon it. Conditions like forgiving others, which we saw last week on Trinity 22. Conditions like producing fruit, making sure that you show up at the wedding feast with a proper wedding attire. Here Jesus speaking is speaking kind of in summary about the whole reality of one's life. Give to Caesar that which is Caesar, pay the tax, but don't give to Caesar that which is God's. Caesar is not the Son of God nor the High Priest. You need to give that to God. The Christian tithe is symbolic, perhaps we could even say is a sacramental representation of this made known in the prayer. It's, it's a silent prayer. That means the congregation doesn't hear it. But the priest says this prayer over the offerings at every Mass. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. But like I said, the giving of our tithe, tithe the giving of our first fruits, is intended to be representative of the giving of the whole back to God, the entirety of who we are. So I think this is a question for reflection. Do we just nominally give a tribute to God? Do we simply pay the church tax, that is the tithe, show up for Mass, and then feel like we've completed with what's required of us, so now we get to go and live the way that we want to live? I've done what I'm supposed to do, so now don't bother me with the rest. I can just live my life. As St. Paul writes in our epistle, where is our citizenship? That is, where is our identity and to whom do we owe our allegiance? Is our citizenship here on earth or is it in heaven, from which we await our Lord who will transform our lowly body? Paul's point is clear here. He says we are citizens of heaven and therefore our life as such should reflect the life of heaven. So then how then how or how then shall we walk as enemies of the cross those given over to the lusts of the flesh or rather in the example given to us by Paul and all the saints who have gone before us by rendering back to God everything that belongs to God to sum up as Jesus teaches yes give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar but more importantly Give to God what belongs to God. Give Caesar the tax, but give yourself to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.